many of you have heard him speak. Uh, he is one of our favorites. I believe he's one of the greatest expository preachers of this generation. Pastors there at Victory Baptist. And I'm thankful for Victory Baptist Press, uh, what it has done to help our missionaries and missionaries all around the world. What an incredible ministry. And a privilege to have him and his wife here with us. Let's make sure to spoil them over the next few days. Preacher, come preach to us. Thank you, preacher. It is an honor to be here tonight. I say it everywhere I go. I actually mean it tonight. I am excited to be here. Excited to be here. And I think that you are too. So many people have said that you're excited to be in church. I actually believe that. And you're in a special place tonight. I don't have to tell you that. And you know that. But good to be in church. Preacher, thank you for the invitation. I Sorry I couldn't be here last, yesterday, but with Brother Hoffmeister, I heard about the great day that you had and the people that were saved. And what a wonderful thing that is. But always good to come back and visit Capital City Baptist Church and leave convicted of all the things that we are not doing right. That's what we think when we come here. We go back home. We got a lot to work on, but it is so good to be here. I had something very different happen today to my wife and I. Has not happened in a long, long time. In fact, it's been so long, I don't know if I can remember the last time. But we actually had a flight today that got here on time. On time. And I, 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 it, it just hasn't happened for a long time. In fact, we got here early, early. And so when we landed on the tarmac, the pilot came on and said, Ladies and gentlemen, we're here about 20 minutes early. So we're going to sit on the tarmac for 30 minutes so that you will feel comfortable and we will be late as normal. And so that's what we did. We sat on the tarmac for about 30 minutes and uh, they got us here, but they didn't get our bags here. Our bags are somewhere between Miami and here and they're coming, they're coming. But I'll tell you how the Lord works. The Lord really, you, you just got to follow the leading of the Lord because I normally, when I'm flying, I normally travel in Bermuda shorts and flip flops. <laughs> But since of where I was coming today, I thought I'd dress up a little bit. And so I went ahead and dressed up. And uh, boy, did I get lucky, huh? Because it would have been awkward. But uh, I'm glad I was in tune with the Holy Spirit this morning, huh? And just great to be here. I want you to take your Bibles and find 1 Peter chapter number 1 with me. 1 Peter chapter number 1. And uh, just finished preaching through the book of 1 Peter in our church. And just two weeks ago, started through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings. My favorite book of the Bible is whatever book I am preaching through at the moment. So for the past year, it's been 1 Peter. But right now, it's my second to favorite book in the Bible because my favorite book right now is the Gospel of John. No greater book than the Gospel of John. And then when I get done with it, I'll move on to another book. But I love 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, I want you to begin reading with me in verse number 18. You will know these verses. In fact, you may have it memorized by heart. But 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18, For as much as you know that you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. There are certain doctrines in your Bible that are so big that they cannot be defined with just one word. Take, for example, God, theology proper. God is such a vast subject that He requires a vocabulary all His own. You can't define God with just one name or with one attribute. We could spend the remainder of our time tonight talking about the goodness of God and say nothing about the power of God. 
We could, we could wax eloquent on the omnipotence of God, God's power, and never touch on the wisdom of God. He's just too big for one word. You take salvation. The word saved. When God saved you, he did so much in you and for you that one word won't do. You have to have a new vocabulary. You have to learn new words to understand what God did for you. The word saved. The word saved is a good word. It's a Bible word, but it's not a big enough word to capture every aspect of my salvation. So we have to find other words. For example, there's a word in the Bible that is the word justified. Now you and I, when we justify ourselves, basically what we're doing is we're giving a reason for something that we have done wrong. We're offering an excuse for why we are justifying ourselves. That's not the Bible idea of justification. Justification is a legal term. It is the legal aspect of salvation. It means to declare righteous. It is to legally declare someone not guilty, even if that person is guilty. As far as the law is concerned, the accused is innocent. The record has been expunged, so there is no record of any past wrongdoing. Justification means that you have been declared not guilty and given a new standing before God. That God has taken your sin, placed them on Christ. He has taken his righteousness and placed it on you. And when God sees you, he sees you not in your sin. He sees you in Christ and he sees the righteousness of his son. That's justification. Oh, it's a wonderful, wonderful word. Whenever I think of the word justification, I always think of that story of a man in England years ago that bought a Rolls Royce. And he wanted to tour Europe in that Rolls Royce, and so he put it on a ferry across the English Channel, and he was touring Europe in that Rolls Royce, and it broke down on the side of the road in France. And so he sent a telegram back to the Rolls Royce company in England that he bought it from, and they flew a mechanic to France where he was and got the car running again. He just knew that the bill would be astronomical. So when he got back home to England, he sent a letter to the Rolls-Royce company explaining what had happened and requesting a bill. And they sent a letter back. And in the letter they said, Dear sir, thank you so much for your letter. You need to know we have no record in our files that any Rolls-Royce has ever broken down at any place at any time for any reason. <laughs> that is justification. You may fall, you may break down, you may run yourself in a ditch, but God says that is a child of mine. There is no record of his past. That's a great word. But it doesn't tell the whole story. So, so we find words in the Bible like propitiation. Now that word is not as familiar as justification. It's an important word. To propitiate means to turn away wrath. That when Jesus died on the cross, all the sins of the world were poured out on him and God the Father judged him as though he were us. He judged him as though he were every sinner. He became sin for us and God turned his face away from him. That's why Isaiah says he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied, not happy that his son is suffering, but satisfied in the sufferings of his son. It's a great word. It's a great word. The, the word Peter gives us in, 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 in this passage is the word redeemed, redeemed. To redeem something is to purchase something with a price. It's to buy back either, either property or, or, or even paying a price for, for a slave. Great word. Justified, justified doesn't say anything about the price of our salvation, but it talks about the it, it talks about the price of our salvation. It doesn't say anything about the standing that we had before God. Oh, the word propitiation doesn't say anything about our standing, but it speaks of the satisfaction of the justice of God. 
Well, the word just redemption doesn't deal with justice, but it talks about the price that was paid. And, and I'm just saying to you that it's just, it's too big for one word. You need a new vocabulary. So Peter talks about being redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing songs like that. Redeemed, redeemed. I love those songs. And you know this passage well. And tonight, I'm not going to preach on the doctrine of redemption, though we could. But I want you to notice something in this text. I want you to look at the end of verse number 16. And I want you to notice the punctuation mark is a period. Then in verse 17, verse 18, verse 19, verse 20, and verse 21. And your next period is at the end of verse 21. So verse 17 through verse 21 is one sentence. When you begin reading in verse 17, you don't find another period until you get to verse number 21. And in that one sentence, he's going to tell us what does not redeem us. That's verse number 18. He's going to tell us about the blood that does redeem us. That's verse number 19. He's going to tell us that the redemption was planned a long time ago. That's verse number 20. And he's going to tell us that the purchasing of our redemption is sealed by the resurrection. That's verse 21. And it's all one sentence. Now with that in mind, I want you to look at the end of that sentence. The last statement of verse number 21. That your faith and hope might be in God. He starts talking about your redemption in verse number 17. And he gets to the end of his sentence. And he says the end result of it. The goal of this great redemption I've been talking about. Is so that you and I can trust God. When you realize what he has done for us and the redemption that is accomplished for you and I, it ought to help you that no matter what happens in life, if you're still saved, you can have faith and hope in God. Now, now here's why that's important. Peter is writing to suffering saints. The word suffer or suffering found 18 times in the book of 1 Peter. These are people that have gone through dark valleys and hard trials. And sometimes when life is hard, it can cause you to doubt God. Sometimes when you're discouraged, when you're depressed, when you're overwhelmed with life or whatever it might be, you find it hard to trust. But Peter says that when you think about your redemption, it ought to remind you that you can trust God. Now, in our text tonight, we're going to say right here in this text, in our text tonight, I believe that Peter's going to give us three reasons why you can trust him. And, and, and here's what happens. The more that you learn about your salvation, the more you learn about the God of your salvation. And in this text, I believe that Peter is going to allude to three great truths about God. And if you can get those three truths off of the text, get them into your heart. No matter what comes tomorrow or next Wednesday or next month, no matter what life throws you, you can face it with faith and hope. Now, I know that you're used to 20-minute sermons. I'm going to hurry just as fast as I can, all right? Here's the first truth. You ought to write it down. It's not profound. It's simple. Here's the first truth about God that you're going to find in this text. Here it is. Are you ready? It is that God knows. Look at verse 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now don't let the word foreordained scare you. That's not a Calvinist word. That's a Bible word. The word foreknowledge, it means to know something ahead of time. Foreordain means to make a decision based upon that foreknowledge. So that statement is a statement about the foreknowledge of God. And here's what it's simply saying. It is saying that God ordained the plan of redemption 
before the world was created. That John 3.16 was in the mind of God before Genesis 1 and verse number 1. He determined a course of action based on what he knew was going to happen before it happened. The cross, the blood, the crucifixion, the empty tomb. That was no accident. That was God knowing exactly what he was going to do. So it is a statement about something that God knew. Now, now, now a little bit of theology, just a little bit. The word that the theologians would use is the word omniscient. It means that God knows everything. It means that God knows the future before it becomes the present. It means that God knows tomorrow before it becomes today. You cannot find a beginning or an ending to the knowledge of God. He knows everything that has happened. He knows everything that is happening. And God knows everything that is going to happen in the future. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Oh, I'll take it a step farther. God not only knows everything that has happened and knows everything that is happening and knows everything that is going to happen, but I would say that he knows everything that could happen if other things happen. He knows everything that will actually happen, but in the mind of God, God knows what could potentially happen if other things happen. God knows the decisions that you will make, but if you were to make other decisions, God knows what the results of those decisions would be as well. He knows not not only what will actually happen, he knows what could happen in every possible scenario. I'll give you an example of this when the preacher picked us up from the hotel. I don't remember if we turned right or if we turned left, but one of the directions we turned and we got here. Now, had we turned the other direction, had we gone the other way, it is possible that we would have gotten into an accident. We don't know because we didn't go that way. And we will never know. But God knows. God knew that sin would enter into the world through the disobedience of Adam. He didn't ordain that sin. He didn't cause that sin. He didn't force Adam to sin by not giving him a choice. But he knew the choice and he knew the consequences. And he allows the consequences of sin to be played out in the world. And knowing that ahead of time, God planned a course of action and he planned salvation through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Adam didn't have to sin, but if he does, this is what I'm going to do to redeem man from his sin. God foreknew. There is a statement in your Bible in Revelation 13 and verse number eight where it says that the lamb slain, catch this, from the foundation of the world. Wait a minute. The lamb wasn't actually slain before creation. The lamb was actually slain at Calvary 2,000 years ago. But what the verse is saying is that God knew before creation that his son would die for mankind. So from God's perspective, it is as good as done. When God knows something beforehand, he can refer to it in the the past tense as if it has already happened. Before the first tree was planted, before the first star ever began to twinkle, God knew that his son would die on a cross for our sins. So as far as he is concerned, he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That statement is telling you that God knows. Now let me bring it home. I want to set it in your lap and make it practical. That's wonderful doctrine. I, I love it. But there's a practical lesson to that. The verse is simply telling you that God already knew and God already had a plan, not just for your salvation and then to leave you alone, but for every step of your life. If the fall of man didn't catch God by surprise, then whatever you're going through didn't catch him by surprise either. And there might be another trial just ahead. You have no idea that it's on the horizon. 
But I want you to know that God already sees it. Since you don't know that it's out there, you're not making any plans for it. But I tell you something, that God already has the plan in place. And whatever the next bad news is, God's not gonna have to scramble at the last minute, scratch his head, wonder what I'm gonna do. There will not be an emergency meeting of the Godhead. We didn't see that one coming. How are we gonna pull him through that? No, he knows what is ahead, just like he knew the fall. And he has a plan to sustain his children, just like he did with the cross as the remedy for sin. God knows. You see, you and I live in the realm of time. We have eternity in our heart, but, but we, are, we, we live in time. We, we are captives of the moment. And what that means, you cannot go back one hour. You can't fast forward one hour. You had a great day yesterday. 12, 12 adults saved, I think it was. You cannot say yesterday was so wonderful. Let's rewind the clock and go back to yesterday and do it again. You can't do that. Well, we, we might say, you know, tomorrow night, man, tomorrow night the service is just going to be so great. Let's just go ahead and fast forward tomorrow. We, we, we can't do that. We can remember the past. We can plan for the future. But all that you can do is live in the present right now. But my God transcends time. God is not bound by right now. In fact, there was a time when there was no time. It is a time that we call eternity and God was there before time. He does not live in time. God lives in eternity. Tomorrow is the same as today for him. He doesn't need to wait for tomorrow to get here to see what it brings or what he's gonna do because God is already over there. It's not that he just sees it, but he's already in my tomorrows and he's just waiting for you to get there. In the mind of God, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world because today, tomorrow, yesterday, eternity, it is all the same to him. And it doesn't need to wait for your next trouble, for your next start, for your next valley to get here. He's already over there. He could say before Genesis, I'm already over in Revelation. And I may not know what tomorrow holds, but that's okay because my God is holding tomorrow. And when I get there, everything will be all right. Whatever lies ahead for you, I promise you, he's already got the grace and he's already got the strength. He's already got the provisions to meet your need. He's already over there. God knows. Several weeks ago, I was driving up I-65, going through Alabama, going up to Tennessee, and, and I have, like you do, I, I have a, a map program on, on my phone. And sometimes I use it for the directions, but sometimes I use it because it will alert you if there is a road hazard ahead. And so I was driving up the road and the thing alerted. And it said, uh, uh, accident ahead. Now how did that phone know that there is an accident up ahead? Well, the only way that it knew was there was somebody using the same app that was up ahead of me. And they had told that app, there is an accident. So anybody coming behind with that same app would know, be careful, there's gonna be a road hazard. As I got closer to where the accident was supposed to be, my phone alerted again. Accident ahead, and then it popped up two options. Clear, still there. What it's asking me, you are where the accident has been reported. Is it still there or has everything been cleared? Now, why are they asking me that? Because there's probably somebody behind me using the same app and they're wanting me to tell them the accident is still there, road hazard, be careful, or it is all clear. And I got a blessing with the Apple iPhone because I thought about how that my father is up ahead of me, sees the accidents clearing the way, and he's telling you, come on, I've already cleared the path, everything is fine, danger's out of the way, and when you get here, everything will be all right. 
Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? That nothing has ever surprised him? That nothing has ever caught him off guard? And because God knows and God is already there, God never reacts to anything. You and I are reactionary because we are constantly caught off guard. I promise you if you fly, you are going to react. I promise you it's going to happen. I'm not going to name the airline because somebody here is probably the CEO of it, so I'm not going to name the airline. But, but we're constantly, our plans change and they get derailed and I got to come up with another plan and I got I to I do this and I got to do that. And God never has to do that. Now I want you to think about it. You think about the fall of Adam and the problems that it caused. There has never been a greater problem, a bigger disaster, a more devastating thing to happen to mankind than the fall of Adam. And God saw the worst thing that could happen to mankind and said, I can fix that. I have a plan for the very worst that man can do. It's a big problem, but I can solve it. He had the solution before the problem. There was grace before there was guilt. There was a savior before there was a sinner. He didn't have to scramble and get plan B into place. He already had a plan in place just waiting. And I don't know the worst that could happen to you, but I don't think that it will be as big as the fall of Adam. And if he can fix that problem, he can fix your problem too. If you'll look at that and see how wise and how gracious that his plan is, and you can say to yourself, I am in good hands with the Father. He's already over in next week. He's just waiting for me to get there because he knows the news is coming and he's got the grace and he's got the strength and he's got the provision and he's got the supply. He's got the remedy that I need and I tell you, no matter what life brings you, you can trust him because God knows. Knows, God knows. There is a second truth though that I find in this text about God It is not only that God knows. Here's the second one. It is that God cares. Now, think about it. It's only comforting that God knows if you can add that God cares. I've used this illustration. It's kind of homespun, country's cornbread. It's the only one I can come up with. But suppose tonight I knew that your house was going to catch on fire. That at midnight somehow I, I just knew your house was going to catch on fire. Well, that would be good to know ahead of time. Because I could tell you, get your kids out. In fact, we could already have the fire department sitting there waiting. Right? <laughs> make sure the dog's out. Make sure the wife's out. Make sure, and, and, so, 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 so it would be good if I knew that ahead of time. But only... If I care. Because I could say, not my house. Not, not my dog. Huh? I got a room tonight. I've been flying all day. I'm tired. I, I, I'm not going to midnight. Not going to bother me. Huh? You know, it would be better for me to not know than if I knew it didn't care. Because if I know and I don't care, then all that I am is a monster. So it's better. It's better if I don't have advanced knowledge, if I'm not going to do anything about. So, so God knew beforehand what sin was going to do to this world. And God could have said, it's not my fault. I told you you was going to die. I mean, I gave you one command. That's all you had to do is don't eat of the tree. You should have known better. You should have listened to me. This, this is your problem. You got yourself in this fix. This is not my problem. You couldn't blame me just to let everybody go to hell. That's not what he did. So what did he do? Look at verse number 20. Who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest, manifest in these last times, And here's two shouting words 
for you. He saw the fall. He saw the fall out of sin. And he went into action. He had a plan and in due time, Christ was manifest. There's the word. Manifest, that's the incarnation. That's what it's pointing us to. He was manifest in these last times for you. If you will go all the way back to Bethlehem, that little baby in that manger, and if you'll follow his life, and if you'll follow him all the way to Calvary, and the empty tomb, and the ascension, do you know why God allowed all of that to happen to his son? I'll tell you why. It was for you. God cared so much for you that he was making sure there was a way that you could get saved. Before he made the sun to shine and the moon to reflect the sun, he was thinking of me. I, I don't mean to be sappy about this. I know it sounds like Joel Osteen and I don't mean it to, but I'm telling you, he is for me. For me. I, I was preaching through First Peter few months ago and I got to a verse and it just, it just blessed, it just blessed the gizzard out of me. Look at first Peter two. Let me show you a verse in verse number 24. Look at this. I know you just look at this. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, 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 now look at this for just a minute. When you have a statement and part of the statement could be left out and the statement is still grammatically and factually correct, then that extra statement is there, not for redundancy, it is there for emphasis. So you could read, not changing the Bible, not, not recommend, but here's what you agree. Who bear our sins in his own body on the dream. That's factually correct. That is grammatically correct. But Peter inserts a phrase. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. His own self, when that's added in there, that is there as the emphasis. He did it himself. He did it by himself. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He did it by himself. Now church, I'm gonna tell you, now I know this is a doctrine of the church, you've heard the best preaching in the world, but I'm gonna tell you something. I don't understand how Christ became sin for us, but he didn't become a sinner. I don't understand how he bore my guilt, though he was not guilty. Somehow, he carried our sins in his own body, and the father punished him as though he had committed those sins, though he had not. And we have to be careful when we're talking about this because we're on holy ground. It doesn't mean that that day he bore my guilt because guilt can't be transferred. If you didn't do the crime, then you're not guilty. But he took my penalty, he took my place on the tree, and he placed himself in the place of the guilty, though he were actually innocent. I don't understand. I can teach a class on it. I can write a paper on it. And when I'm done, I walk away thinking there's something to this that I didn't understand. But I don't understand how every sin that has ever been committed was dumped on him and he took my sin in his body. I understand the theology, but in my heart, it's bigger than I can comprehend that every lie and every abortion and every murder and every act of fornication, all of it was put in his body and God judged him as though he had done all of that. But he drank the cup of sin for me. He was made a curse for me. He took the wrath that I deserved. He became the serpent on the tree for me. You know what I was trying to tell you? Is that God cares. When Napoleon Bonaparte was, was emperor of France, they, they was fighting a lot of battles and he was trying to conquer lands. And they, and they could not, um, they couldn't keep the army staffed. They, they were just fighting so much. And so back in the 1800s, they, they had a conscription, kind of like what we would call a draft. And, and during Bonaparte's day, 
in order to be a citizen of France, you had to be enlisted in the draft or to be conscripted in the army. And the way that it would work is that when they go out to fight a battle and they needed men, then they would just call your number, come knock on your door, and you had to go. You had to go fight. Now, now if you had an excuse, if you had a reason why you couldn't go, then, then you could get somebody to go in your place, but, but, but somebody had to go, and you just had to go fight. Well, one year they was fighting a battle, and they, they did this conscription, this draft, and, and, and they got these names, and, and the officers knocked on a man's door. He came to the door, and they said, Sir, your name has come up, and you've been draft, drafted to go fight, and you're going to have, you're going to, have to, go to go to war. And the man stood there at his door, and he said, well, he said, well, I can't. They said, what do you mean? He said, he said I'm, I'm, I'm already dead. They said, what do you mean you already died? He said, yeah. He said, I I already died. Already died. They said, what are you talking about? He said, two years ago, y'all came and drafted me in another war. And he said, I was getting ready to go, but I just got married, had a new baby. He said, my friend, my best friend, volunteered to go in my place. And he went in my place. But then he was killed in the battle but he was fighting in my name, not his name. So according to the record books, I died. They appealed it to Napoleon Bonaparte himself. And Napoleon looked at it and he said, well, he said, a man can't die two times. He said, I know he's living, but the book says that he's dead. I'm just trying to say to you tonight, I'm glad that I don't have to die for my sins because someone has died as me for me. And according to the record book, though I'm living, I'm dead. How about that? Huh? For us. Now, 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 now here, listen. I, I know the doctrine. I know the doctrine. Well, let's make it practical. God knows and God cares. Not just for you to be saved, but he cares about what's going on in your life. As a father cares for his children, God cares for you. That's what it's telling you. It's for you. If he cared enough to die for you, don't you think he cares enough to get you through life? If he cared enough to save you, don't you think he cares enough to sustain you? If he cared enough to take care of your greater need, don't you think God cares enough to take care of your lesser need? God cares. I'll give you a third thought tonight and I'm done. The text is telling me that God knows. And the text is telling me that God cares. Here's my third thought. It's in the text I do believe. It is that God can. Would you look at verse 21? Who by him do believe in God. Watch this that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Do you know anybody else that can do that? Do you know anybody else in the human or the supernatural realm that can reach into the grave and bring somebody out of the dead? Do you know anybody, anybody, that has the power to cancel the grave and demand that death release its hold on somebody and bring that person out alive. I tell you, it means nothing that God knows and God cares if God can't. There have been times in my life when somebody has said, preacher, I got a problem. I've sat and listened to the problem. I have cried with them. I have counseled them. But 99 out of 100 times, I could not solve their problem. All I can do is sympathize with you. But you have never taken a problem to God where God said, I can't. God can. You know why you can trust him? Because he can. You say, can what? Whatever you need him to do. If he can speak life back into the dead, if he can raise his son from the grave, 
If even death is powerless to stop him, then I tell you tonight that he can take care of your problem too. He can meet your need. He can answer your prayer. He can solve your problem. He can take care of you too. God there, there is a style of argument in logic. It is called the greater to the lesser argument. Here's what the argument says. It says that if the greater is true, then the lesser is usually included. If the big thing is true, then all the little things under it, that's probably true too. The Bible employs that style of argument. I'll show it to you real quick, real quick. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Almost done. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus preaching Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, look if you would at verse number 25. Matthew 6 verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye should eat, what ye should drink, nor yet for your body, what ye should put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Now, now here's the argument. Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into body. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. That's the greater. Are ye not much better than they? If God can feed every bird in the universe today and they don't even worry about it. What Jesus is saying is my Father can feed you too. Here's how it works. You drive through the McDonald's drive-thru knowing that the order will not be right. The lady comes on with a chuckle. Can I help you? And you say, I want two cheeseburgers with no mustard and no onions. That is all. She says, would you like fries with that? No, that is all. Two cheeseburgers, no onions, no mustard. Now you already know one of those cheeseburgers is going to have mustard or onions on it. We already know that, right? But we ordered two, hoping to get one. <laughs> you pay for your order, and in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I really should check it before I pull out. But I'm in a hurry. So you pull out into the side road, you open up the bag, and here are two cheeseburgers, both slathered with mustard and onions. You gotta be kidding me. How hard can this be? I ask for two cheeseburgers with no mustard and no onions and that is all and they can't even get that right and you are so frustrated and in the flesh that you take those two cheeseburgers and you just chunk them out into the street and God just fed some of his birds. He was just having you buy their lunch. If God can feed the birds, don't you think he can feed you? Look at verse 28, look at verse 28. Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the glad grass of the field, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? If God can paint the prairie with lilies and flowers and grass, don't you think God can put clothes on your back too? Greater to the lesser. What should we say to these things? If God be for us, 
Who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, that's the greater, but delivered him up for us all. Shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God gave you the greater, then don't you think that God will give you the lesser? If God didn't even spare his son, then surely there's nothing else that God will spare you. If God can take care of the greater problem of sin, God can take care of all the little problems too. If God had a plan to redeem you. Don't you know God has a plan for anything else that comes into your life? And here's what God may do. Here, I, I'm done. God, God may bring healing or God may bring grace that is stronger than the healing. God may work a miracle in the body. God may work a miracle in the heart. I've told this story several times. It touches my heart. I was preaching in Illinois a couple of months ago, several months ago. Morning service, had my phone with me. Phone kept ringing. A member of our church, it kept ringing. I knew it was important. So I stepped out of the service, went into the parking lot, answered the phone. Brother Billy was on the phone. A member of our church, precious, precious family. Got a child, expect another child. He said, preacher, just want you to pray. He said, we just got back from the doctor. He said, they're, they're thinking that there's going to be some health issues with the baby. They think it's going to be pretty severe. He said, I can't go into all of it. I, I didn't understand everything. He said, he said they, do, they do detect there are three holes in the heart. And there's some abnormalities with the brain. The brain stem that connects the left side and the right side of the brain, that brain stem is not there. They're thinking severe, severe health issues. Now what you have to know about Billy and Ruth Ann is I've never met a couple with such grace and peace and calmness in their soul. But in the midst of that calmness, God just brought a whirlwind of a storm. And we began to pray. And I believe with all of my heart that God can work a miracle and that that baby could be delivered with no physical problems at all. But I also know that God can bring you through a valley with such peace in your heart that the miracle in your heart is greater than the miracle in the baby. Either way, God can. Baby's born. What's the baby's name? Harlow? Harlow is the baby's name. Baby's born. Baby's born the head of the OR. You know what they couldn't find? They couldn't find them holes in that heart. You don't want to take no holes. The heart's fine. Going to have some developmental issues, but nowhere near as severe as the doctor was saying. And I got a young couple sitting in my church with a beautiful little baby that's going to have some challenges, but not like the doctors were saying. And we're not done praying. But I got a family sitting in my church that went through a storm and they just trusted God. And God has brought them through that. I'm trying to say to you tonight that God knows. If before the foundation of the world, God could look down through time, see the greatest problem of mankind, and say, I've got a plan for it. I promise you, that the storm that's coming Friday that you have no idea of, God already knows. You have never informed God of your problems. You've talked to him about it, but you've never told him about it. You've never informed God of your situation. He already knows. And God cares. He cared enough for me not to let me just die and go to hell. But he cared enough to send his son down across from me. And if he loves me that much, then I know that he loves me to take care of everything else. And God can. If he can reach into the grave and cancel death, he can take care of my need as well. Do you trust him? The longer that you say, and the more that you know about your salvation, it's not just theology for your head. 
It's theology for your heart that you can have faith and hope in God. I'm not here to give you a pep talk. I'm not here to tell you I just feel like something good's about that. I don't know. But could we somehow get our focus off of the problems and the storms and the valleys and the fears and the anxieties and get our hearts back on God? If you can't rest in Him, I don't have anything to offer you. If you can't lean on His understanding, I don't have any other words. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know Him and I know that He holds tomorrow. I'm fighting allergies. So you've got to help me with this. Help me with this. Piano player, come. Help, help me with this. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Do you know that? Sing it with me. Oh, yes, He cares. I know He cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the Night's dreary, I know, my Savior. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that we get to serve you. The privilege that we have just to call you Father, to trust you and to rely on you. I don't know that anybody's going through a storm. I don't know that anybody's going through a hard trial. But when we do, may our thoughts and our energies not be taken up with the storm, but may they be taken up with you. There could be somebody in this room tonight that's never been saved. Holy Spirit of God, speak to their heart. Show them the love of Christ that he would come to a cross and die for their sin. Help them to trust him this evening for their salvation. Speak to our hearts. Minister to us through your word, I pray now. In Jesus' name, a day man preacher, you come to me.